This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. To celebrate the fifth anniversary of ST Podcasts recently, this episode was recorded in front of a live audience with three guests, and the topic was on youth mental health in Singapore. Young people are a lot more open to talking about their mental health challenges these days, but there's still quite a lot of stigma surrounding mental health. So our first guest is Singaporean national swimmer, Kwa Ting-wen. She's a three-time Olympian and recently earned the prestigious title of Best Athlete at the 2023 Southeast Asian Games held in Cambodia. Our second guest is Sherman Ho, the co-founder of Happiness Initiative. That's a social enterprise that focuses on well-being research. And they run well-being programs in schools, in the community and for companies. And our third guest is Sabrina Wee, the co-founder and CEO of Calm Collective Asia. That's an organisation with a mission to normalise mental health conversations among professionals in Asia. So let's dive in. So um, welcome to the show, Ting Wen, Sherman and Sabrina. Right, I'm very excited to have you here with us. I want to hear your thoughts on mental health and about how you cope with your mental health challenges. So we're going to get to it. So let's start with Ting Wen. So Ting Wen, you're an accomplished swimmer. Like, you know, fantastic. I always read about you in the papers. But I'm sure there are times in your swimming journey when you feel down and maybe unsure about yourself. Can you tell us more about it and how you cope with it? Thanks for having me here today. I think... As it is with most of us, with most things, the journey towards what we're trying to, where we're trying to get to, most of the time it's not smooth and it's not very easy. And it's been the same um, for my swimming career. I've been doing this since I was 12. So it's kind of changed, you know, from being a primary school student, moving to secondary school, university, and then being a professional athlete for the last seven years. There have been trying times and... I think the thing that I've learned the most along the way is that it's not just about training, you know, the physical, the outside. There's a lot to work on um, the inside. So mental fortitude was something that I really had to learn to hone and work on in the last few years. Uh, And it's an ongoing journey. I'm, I'm not at a point where I feel like I've got it completely nailed down. But I think just being more open to understanding that it is something that I need to work on as an athlete, not just on my body and the physical. That has helped me a lot, not just in the pool, but outside as well. Right, to be strong mentally and physically. Right. So Sherman, you're the happy guy, right? But, you know, we're not always happy. I'm sure there are times when you're down and you're feeling unmotivated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so how do you cope with it? I mean, do you um, talk to everybody about it or tweet or post it online, anything like that? So I think I think running an organization like Happiness Initiative sometimes is quite pressurizing because you you know I mean your name is Happiness Initiative. There's certain expectation that that you know people think that you're supposed to be happy all the time. But I think it's always a journey, and you know, and like what you you mentioned, it's a great point that everybody has the ups and downs, right? And that down and up both are part of this thing about happiness, right? It's all part of the whole journey. And a lot of times when when I get very down and everything, I think one of my greatest coping mechanisms is I always talk to people. 
Like I find that that helps me a lot because it sort of shapes a certain perspective. It breaks you out of the ruminative cycle where you keep thinking and thinking and thinking to keep going on a circular loop and it goes on a downward spiral. So when you talk to someone, some you break, break yourself out of that thinking uh, rumination and you know you get a different perspective and I find that helps a lot because sometimes you, when you get stuck in your own mind, you, you become very negative. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's my, what I usually do. Right, when it gets too much, right? So we're going to get to Sabrina. Um, that's quite interesting because we're going to get you to share about your own personal experience, right? I think you're very brave. So um, Sabrina lives with a bipolar disorder and you have once also tried to take your own life, More right? than once. Oh, more than once. Yeah. Oh my God. Too many okay. times. So um, yeah, so tell us about your experience and you know about your mental health challenges today. I mean, how do you cope? I mean, how does it affect your life? Yeah, I mean, I think through my journey with my mental illness, right? Um, I realized that mental health is something, it's just part of health. And one thing that stuck with me when I was going through that recovery process was that my friend told me, hey, Sabrina, your brain is an organ just like any other and it can fall sick too. So it was really, it really helped put things into perspective, right? Because, um, I mean, since then I've learned that we can look at mental health from the biopsychosocial lens. So biologically, your brain, you know, it can be, uh, you know, not very well. Psychologically, maybe we don't have the resilient skills to navigate stress. Environmentally, socially, you know, maybe we're in an environment that maybe not be helpful for our mental health, right? So since... Understanding mental health from my journey, um, I realized that it's really important. It affects everyone and it's really about how can we navigate and overcome the stress that we face day to day. So um, thankfully, I'm out of that, uh, you know, that suicidal ideation. Um, but, you know, since I've been open about my story and my journey, yeah, I actually was like, arrested on the 20-something floor, la, so ups and downs, right? So, And then I bungee jumped since then. So my mom was like, oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> so, it's really about recognizing that we all have mental health. We're all on the continuum of mental health from survival, to struggling or we're thriving at any point in time. And it can change any time in our lives, right? That's true. That's true. But there's still a lot of stigma attached to talking about mental health, right? And if you're talking about like feeling down, um, feeling maybe not very happy, I think if you can talk to your friends, that's a good thing. But if you say have a mental condition, you may not feel so comfortable talking about it. Right? I mean, do you tell people about it, Sabrina? I've told enough, a lot of people already uh, at this point because as part of Calm Collective is about normalizing mental health conversations. It starts with vulnerability and being honest with firstly ourselves and then honest with other people. And then that actually gives people the permission to open up and share their struggles with you as well. Since then, I've had so many friends, people I don't know come forward and say, hey, I wanted to kill myself last week, but then I read your story and I was like, okay, I can figure this out, right? So many people are secretly struggling alone. Um, and I think to what Sherman said, it's so important to reach out to friends, but sometimes friends may also not be equipped to listen. Right, yeah, we're going to get to that later on. Yeah, so um, my second question, I wanted to ask Sherman and Sabrina, right? Because you both work in the youth mental health space. So can you share a key observation about the youth mental health space in Singapore, given your experience? I think a lot of people are lonely. A lot of youth, you know, we're so connected through social media. Our phones are keeping us up to date of what all our friends are doing. What my observation has been is that people are quite lonely despite being surrounded by all this, all these updates, right? 
And social media is just amplifying that loneliness because it makes us feel that, oh, my friends are all doing something cool. What am I doing with my life scrolling here in bed in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., right? I'm the only one who's like such a loser. So I think one of the things that's going to be really important is um, around how youth may be able to manage the usage of social media and be more mindful around it. Sherman, what do you think? I feel like you just said everything that I wanted to say. Yes, yeah, so, so, so I think it's an important point. Social media right. plays such a big, uh, such a big challenge now in our youth because, you know, in social media, there's this phenomenon called a positive bias. Like you, you tend to only post good things on social media, right? And when we spend all our time on social media, we tend to create a reality of what the world is supposed to be like and it's completely unrealistic. Because it's either oh, everyone is having a great dinner, everyone having a happy time with friends, or it could be like, oh, every, the world is falling apart, the world is dying. You know, it, it's always this extreme, right? It creates a certain, you know, disconnect with reality. And sometimes when young people, I, I think the challenge is that they may not be able to take it into context, right? And when they don't have someone to really give them perspective, sometimes when they get caught in that hole, bubble, right? Then I think that's very dangerous and that's where it becomes very disconnected and, and you know, their mental health might take a toll. Yeah, that's true. That's very interesting. I think we should really think about it. And recently, last month, the US Surgeon General put out a report on this, you know, warning people about social media. We're all experiments, actually, in this social media world. And, and to put it into context, the gravity of the situation is almost like that. I think one of the times that the Surgeon General actually made kind of statements are stuff like when they talk about smoking, right? So, they are now at the point where they feel that it is a, a big concern, you know, this unregulated social media use. Right. So we're going to get to uh, Ting Wen, right? So tell us more about your personal experience. Um, I was reading your story, right? You mentioned that, you know, when you went to school 2010, 2014, um, there were downtimes and then there were times that you were unsure and then um, you, you know, you felt lost. And I, I read this, you saw the line between positive and negative pressure blurred. You know, what happened and, you know, can you tell us more about it and how did you cope with it? I left for the United States when I was 17. I made that decision because I wanted to continue swimming. I knew I wanted to swim professionally after university and I knew that swimming in the American collegiate system would give me the best chance for that. So I, I made that decision to leave Singapore and my family. I'm the oldest of three children, so very typical Asian family, very protected. I was very sheltered all the way until I left for the US. While I know my parents were doing it out of love for me, I think it almost made my transition going over there almost that much harder. Just learning how to be independent, making decisions on my own, being so far away from home, away from my parents and my siblings and everything that was familiar. That was, that was difficult for me. So as, you know, just a regular student, I think that was hard enough. Then throw in swimming. I left making a promise to myself that I would do my family and my country proud. I would study hard, uh, make the teachers who had supported me along my journey all the way until I left for university proud. I, you know, promised my coaches that I would come back faster, stronger and better. So I put a lot of pressure on myself going there at such a young age. And I, I didn't realize the toll that it had taken on me. I think at the age of 17 also, you know, that's kind of like when you're still going through puberty, you're changing, uh, you're growing. So I, you know, everything was changing at once. And I think I wasn't at a point where I was prepared enough and strong enough to kind of just take all that change at once and know how to handle it. So 
some of the negatives, I think. I, I've not really mentioned this before, but emotional eating kind of became a thing for me. You know, I felt like there were a lot of things that I was not able to control in my life. And one of the things I could was what I put in my body. So I'll be very controlled. I was like, I'm a I'm a top athlete. Like I need to be very controlled with what I put in my body. And then, you know, sometimes there'll be breaking points where I'm missing home so much that I would just break and just kind of go completely off my diet and then just go downhill. And then the next day I'm like, nope, I'm, a, I'm the top athlete. I need to. So two weeks of, you know, being a very good athlete and then just one day of breaking. So that was my first two years in college. Um, it was hard for me and, and I didn't expect my parents to come, you know, take care of me. And my sister's eight years younger than me. So when I left when I was 17, she was only nine. She was only in primary three. So I had no expectations of my mom flying all the way to the US to be with me. And in my second year of college, I had a very bad accident. I broke my arm, snapped like both bones in my forearm and had to get surgery. You know, I was in the hospital and the doctor's like, where are your parents? I'm like, across the ocean <laughs> in Singapore and it to me it was normal you know doing everything by myself I think only looking back I kind of realized how much I had taken on when I had left so I think a lot of that shaped me a lot of that kind of made me tougher but at the same time it also kind of taught me how I needed to allow myself to be soft and open and vulnerable around people who were there, who wanted to help me, who wanted to support me. Sure, my family members were not there. My friends, my coaches from home were not there, but I had my coaches from my team. I had my teammates. I had my classmates from school. So it was really about allowing myself to, you know, in moments where I, I was not feeling strong to admit that I was not that strong and I needed help and be okay with that. So that was a big learning point for me. And yeah, I really realized over there what, you know, support can do for you, you know, surrounding yourself with quality people, a quality, a quality environment, good sleep, proper food, consistent proper food, you know, not being super strict and then kind of falling off the bandwagon and trying to reel it in again. So it, it was, there were a lot of learning points there for me. Right, but that's fantastic, right? That will resonate with the rest as well. And Sabrina, you were saying that you're, you know, get, getting people to talk about it and then that will enable them to actually seek help, which is what you've done. That's fantastic. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. This conversation was recently recorded at Tomasic Shophouse in front of a live audience and that was to celebrate the fifth anniversary of ST Podcasts. My three guests were Singaporean national swimmer Kwa Ting Wen, the co-founder of Happiness Initiative Sherman Hall, and the co-founder and CEO of Calm Collective Asia, Sabrina Wee. So we were talking about youth mental health. Yeah, so you guys are leaders in your own field. I mean, so I wanted to ask you if you have one wish, right? What is it that you want to change about the, you know, what's happening in the youth mental health space in Singapore? So Sherman, you want to start? <laughs> I, I always have this extreme view. I think we should just ban social media. Uh, no, okay. I must put it into context later. Like suddenly, you know, I, I come to a point that I also feel that sometimes it does more harm than good, right? And and I think that there needs to be a lot more regulation. But that's the more bigger idea. But at the end of the day, at the root of it, I, I feel that, that there just needs to be a lot more awareness and education, right? In the sense that there needs to be more awareness about mental health conditions, but also awareness that there are many tools, many uh, strategies, mechanisms that, that are research-based that can actually help 
you know, us build better versions of ourselves, right? And, and, and I think that that is something that it is important for more people to know about. Uh. Yeah, my, my one wish probably builds upon Sherman's uh, sharing. So I think in the past couple of years, thanks to the pandemic, I guess, there's been a lot more awareness and curiosity around mental health. So finally, the parents, grandparents are like, eh, Mental health, what is this? Ah? Like the Gen Z, all talking about it, right? So, so finally, there's curiosity. There's a bit more awareness, but the literacy is still lacking. So we're hearing a lot of misconceptions uh, persisting amongst people who are talking about mental health. Um, you know, pe- mental health are for people who are weak, for the young people only. You know, what about people with dementia? You know, they also suffer in their mind. Um, so I think it's really about understanding mental health from, you know, what it really is and what it's not, right? And I think another point to help drive that literacy is really around personal stories like what Tingwen just shared just regular people who have struggled and figured out how to work with it and what they learn from their own mental health struggles right so we've heard a lot of stories from a lot of stories about cancer for example but not so much about mental health so I think stories will be helpful in building out that empathy and literacy that's true because this health is mental health and physical health. It's intertwined. So coming from the sporting industry, I think when you talk about athletes, you know, the image you get right away is sweaty, gritty, you know, just very tough and strong. And I think while that is great, I, I love all of that. I think it's a double-edged sword, right? Because then when we are told as athletes that we have to be tough and strong and dirty, sweaty, gritty, everything, then you forget that internally there's also that need to understand that on the flip side, you know, there are days that you are not strong and you have to be okay talking about that, accepting that there are those days. And I think sometimes in the sporting community, it is still, like Sabrina mentioned, right, it's still looked upon as being weak or soft and it's hard for kids to come forward and say, hey, like I need help just because... Every day we go in and we are told like we have to push through physically, mentally. You know, we're in the water at 5.30 in the morning every day. And sometimes the way the coaches push the kids, like it's just all about being strong and pushing through. And while I agree that that is the way sometimes you have to train to be good, be great, there's also a need to educate these youngsters that, the mental fortitude is also very important and the way to train that isn't just always, the answer isn't always to push through. While that might help in a lot of things, um, sometimes pushing through isn't the way and um, seeking help doesn't hurt. Right, when you need it, especially, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but generally, talking about mental health may not be, I mean, I guess, you know, you guys talk about it, but you know, for some other people, it may not be so easy. So I wanted to ask you for some tips and also... Um, you know, if you turn it around, say if somebody's talking to you about their mental health, you know, how should you react? It's not easy. And for some people, they might find it overwhelming. Like, you know, if somebody tells me they have um, depression, anxiety or schizophrenia or something, 
you know, I might be overwhelmed and I might say, um, oh, don't worry, you know, it's nothing serious, you know, have a good night's sleep and, and you'll be okay, right? Which is like totally not the thing to say. So, you know, have you come across um, boo-boos like that or, you know, do you have any tips to share? I mean, I've been on the receiving end, you know, when I was going through depression, I mean, I've done that, I've gone through a few times. I've lost a lot of friends and also like family members are like, hey, I just go and sleep, lah. tomorrow I'll be okay, right? Or uh, my friends, I, I had a lot of friends just say, hey, Sabrina, I don't get it. Yeah, just don't talk to me about it. I, I don't get it, right? Or some of them will just ghost me and I'm like, well, are you my friend? You know, what happened? So I, you know, with the wisdom of, uh, you know, introspection and therapy, I now realize that, yeah, you know, people were probably overwhelmed when they, you know, when I was like sharing about how crappy life is and how difficult things are. Um, so I think what I like to share with people is is that instead of being afraid, it does take courage, um, we, we can be curious instead. Just ask open-ended questions. Uh, we don't have to ask why, but maybe it's a, a matter of, okay, how can I help you? What help do you need? Um, do you need a listening ear or do you need advice? A lot of the time, we tend to give solutions or advice based on what we know. And then we're like, oh, yeah, then my friend didn't take my advice. And how can I help them? <laughs> but <laughs> it's not what they need. Actually, all they need is usually a listening ear. And when they're ready to take that advice, then it's up to them, right? So I guess my answer would be be curious, ask open-ended questions, ask what do they need from you right now? Right, to listen and not be quick to maybe offer any advice when you don't really know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Recognize that, you know, you're not really in their shoes. Um, I mean, Sherman, I'm sure you have lots more advice I'm not advice but like tips I feel like I shouldn't go after you because you say everything oh, yeah. I want to no, say but there's always more so Sherman runs a great um, training program as well to teaching people yeah. how to do just this so. so the one thing I feel that is important is that we cannot be afraid of the conversation yeah I think too often when someone come to us with a issue or a challenge they face in their life and we are afraid to have that conversation sometimes it's worse off for the other person because I feel that we have a lot more power to impact someone else's life positively than we think we do. Yeah, because at the end of the day, when you look at a lot of this research and this psychology and everything, these are studies of human behaviors and human coping mechanisms, right? And these are all things that we build up in our lives. And all of us build up a lot of these strategies and these mechanisms of managing challenges in our lives. And there's a lot that you could give to someone else, right? Just by sharing your own experiences or, or giving your own perspective, right? And it, not necessarily giving advice. Sometimes like what Sabrina said, it's just to be there to listen and not being afraid of being there for that person. Yeah, because who knows, you know, that part that you just sit there and just listen to someone talk could be just helping them, you know, go through a very difficult time in their life. I think they both covered that, those bits pretty extensively. So I think um, something that I've learned along the way as someone who's gone through difficult times and also someone who is pretty sensitive and I feel quite deeply, I knowing how the things I've gone through and how I felt and what I've, I wish that I had when I, I was in certain places of my life, wanting people there for me, I tend to try and do the same. And I try and be there for people as much as I can and to be sympathetic, empathetic, be a listening ear. But to the givers out there, I think my advice is that make sure emotionally you have enough in you. It's great to, you know, go to people and be like, hey, like, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Like, what do you need from me? What can I give to you? But you also have to remember if you are running low emotionally, then 
you might give to those around you, but then at the end of it, you are drained, empty, and then, you know, where does that leave you? Not like I'm saying that you should be selfish and just keep for yourself, but I think also not just being aware of those around you and what they're going through, but also kind of being aware of yourself and how much you have allows you to be able to give in a way where you can give consistently and generously, not just to people, but also to yourself and, and maintain that without, you know, falling off the cliff yourself or getting to that point where you are so drained and empty, then you kind of need that from other people, you know, and it's this whole give and take. It, you kind of want this nice ebb and flow without falling off, I guess. Well, that's important. Self-care, I think it's extremely important. Um, we're going to come to the end of the show quite quickly, but um, I wanted to ask Sherman to add on. You know, earlier we had this chat about when talking about mental health or just seeing somebody in a situation, you know, and the social media posting stuff. You want to share more on that? <laughs> so, so I was sharing with Joyce that nowadays you see a lot of, I, I think Singapore is a very high stress country, right? And, and because we are all stressed out because of cost of living, a lot of pressures, you know, our own, our own internal pressures, we sometimes the stress manifests in very negative ways, right? You see angry people and everything. And one of the tips I, I've learned uh, in, in my years of doing this piece of work is that sometimes it is important to learn to, to see beyond that person, to know that, you know, when someone is angry and they are shouting on the train and everything, right? There's often a story behind that, you know, that probably the world has not been kind to this person, right? And I think that helps you or helps me to, to then look at the situation with a lot more compassion and to really not react in an angry way because then you are just going back and forth and everything. It happens a lot in social media where you see now wow, people fighting on the street and then everyone's sharing all these things and people are just writing all these comments. And I think sometimes when you look beyond that, you notice that actually all these people that are having all these violent behaviors, sometimes they themselves probably had a tough life, right? And if you are able to see that, then maybe we can react in a more compassionate way to, to see how we can extend our support. Right, because you just, at the moment you post it, but I think to the person in question, they could be stressed their whole life. It will probably haunt them. So um, that's all we've got time for today. That's the end of the episode. So, um, well, that's a wrap for the 109th episode of Health Check. And thank you everyone for coming on the show. Really appreciate all the insights and tips. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.